Uh, good morning. Welcome. Uh, a general willkommen or bienvenue to everybody, but if you're a visitor today, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. I'm Greg. Um, who I am and what I do is not really very important, but uh, the Word of God is. What I have to say, uh, coming from His Word, is important for today, so I do hope you'll pay attention. And if you're wondering where we're going to be today in the Scripture, that's our guide. It's uh, the Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Tim asked me to preach, and basically what I do, unless there's another indication, is say, hmm, where am I in God's Word right now? Maybe this is what the Holy Spirit wants, so let's do that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, yes, I brought my man bag. I have a bunch of goodies. Don't worry. The sermon's not that long, but uh, there's some things in here to show you later. But first, let me see if I can get this rolling. We have a couple of pictures. Everybody likes pictures. This is it. Where do I point? Ah, there's mountains for you. Okay, not a trick question. Um, what is this? Anybody know? It's not a trick question. Don't worry, nothing. What does it look like to you? It looks like a violin case. We old timers would think, oh, there's a Tommy gun in there. You kids wouldn't even know what that is. There's a Tommy gun in there. But that is not just a violin case. That is a violin case to an Antonio Stradivari Cremonensis violin, a Strad which, as you well know, are extremely expensive. Yes, people do play them. What happens is billionaires anonymously buy them and let concert violinists play them like this. The Lady Bluntstrad, which sold four years ago for, anyone want to guess? Anyone want to guess? How, what, what? Too much. <laughs> Too much. $15,900,000. So uh, you don't want to give that to your kid. He's a council rock. Oh, gee, we're having junior high. <laughs> oh, never mind. Forget that one. <laughs> so, and here's another thing. Now, we've, uh, this is trickier. This is not trickier, but it's a little more difficult. We have some finance people in the back. Hey, can you guys? Uh, two PhDs back there. One of them's even, you know, Penn and Penn State. There's a clearer picture of it, which you can actually see some lettering at the bottom. If you have an idea what that is. Looks like a suitcase, briefcase, yeah, kind of a battered one. <laughs> Somebody's flown on U.S. Air recently. <laughs> anyway, um, that is called a, a, they don't say dispatch in Britain, it's a dispatch box. And it happens to say Chancellor of the Exchequer on the bottom. Now, do you guys know what it is? Oh, get with it. Writers going to really need to redo their business department. Every year, the Chancellor of the Exchequer in Britain announces the budget. And it's brought in this case, this battered old case, to Parliament. And everybody watches it on television, believe it or not. Not because they really care about politics, but they want to know how much more this year they're going to spend on beer and fags. Now, fags, that's cigarettes. I should make that clear. Because the budget dictates what's being spent and how much more your pint of beer will cost 10 pence more this year and your pack, pack of cigarettes will cost uh, 25 pence more and so forth. The reason these are here is these are kind of modest and simple items that carry very, very valuable treasure, either in dollar amount or in importance. And that's kind of one of the verses you'll see later on as we go through the text. I'm going to read the text, then we're going to pray, and then we'll just go through it and see what God has for us, okay? Here's the text. Therefore, having this ministry, just as we have received ministry, mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walk, walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, 
commending ourselves to every conscience of men in the sight of God. And if our gospel has been veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whom the God of this age has blinded minds of the unbelieving, so that they should not see the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, Lord, and ourselves, your slaves, for the sake of Jesus. For God, the one who said, out of darkness light will shine, is the one who has shown in our hearts the illumination of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in clay pots, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. We are pressed hard in every way, but not crushed, at a loss, but not lost out, driven away, but not left behind, knocked down, but not knocked out always caring about in our body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For constantly we who live are being delivered over unto death for Jesus in order that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Uh, Join me in prayer, would you? Lord, we do bring this to you today. We bring you this scripture. We bring this scripture to us. God, as I often say, I'm not important. What I have to say isn't important, but your word is. And so I pray that today people would see you, Jesus. They would see your words. They would see your truth. They would see the life that you give. And they would see what you have for us through the gospel of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. All right. Uh, Just a little recap. I've got to get used to my new glasses here, so I think I'll put them on. A little bit about what this letter is all about. It is an epistle. That's just the Greek word for letter. Not letter of the alphabet, but letter that you write to someone and put a stamp on. So it's a letter. It's Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. I think there's a little pointy thing here somewhere. Oh, I'm not going to touch anything. It's too tricky. Uh, Anyway, you can see the red star there. Corinth. And a little closer picture This is in Greece. There's Athens. You can see Corinth, and you can see where it's located. And what kind of a town was it? Well, you can see by its position, it's on an isthmus. If you have a lisp, it's hard to say. An isthmus. It's on this panel here. And and if you're shipping stuff, you're going around sending cargo, you have to go around this uh, Kapamalea, and it's a very dangerous voyage around the bottom. So people... Now they have a canal cut through there, but people in those days, they would portage. In other words, they'd bring all the cargo in, dump it at Corinth, they'd run across the isthmus and dump it on the other side and take the ships on from there over to what's now Italy and those areas of the Roman Empire. But Corinth was a wild and crazy town, as you can imagine. It was a normal city, but with the shipping and with it's kind of like a combination of Amsterdam and Las Vegas and Atlantic City all on a very, very bad day. Uh, there's all kinds of languages and all kinds of uh, uh, sin and vice that you would find in a, in a shipping town. Plus, the, the, the whole era, the period, the, the, the false religions and worship, there was 15 to 18 temples there. Um, not only was sexual crime rampant and sin, it was part of the religious system. You pay a prostitute and you actually do a religious service by engaging in that. Uh, Strabo, the geographer, says that there was at least 1,000 male prostitutes. So you talk about, you know, a church growth plan. Well, (laughs) today that would probably be very popular, but you can see this is the environment to which Paul wrote. And when he wrote his first letter, believers, all kinds of problems he dealt with there. 
in, in 1 Corinthians. He, they, talked, they had divisions in the church. They actually had a, a man who um, had taken his own mother or stepmother, probably his own stepmother, as his wife or sexual partner, and the church put up with it, something Paul says that even the world doesn't do. Although I would say today, you know, nobody cares. There's divisions, there's people suing each other in the church. There was all kinds of arguments over spiritual gifts and this and that. And this is the group to whom Paul wrote. Now, Paul wrote several letters, just so you have this in mind. He wrote a letter that's now lost because he had written about this guy that was, you know, getting, hooking up with his own stepmother. Uh, and he said, I wrote you, don't associate with him. That's not the first letter he actually wrote. The second letter is 1 Corinthians. He wrote it from Ephesus as he was on his way over. And then he wrote another letter because there were things going on in the church at Corinth where people were trying to take over that whole group. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. No, I support Peter. No, we beat you all you got. We support Jesus. And there was, a, there was a leader there that had taken charge, and he said, you know, put the hammer down on him, get rid of this guy. And that's why he wrote this sorrowful letter and, had, and made a visit in between. Then he wrote this fourth letter that we're going to talk about now. And um, so that's kind of the background of what you're going to be seeing as we go through the Scripture. Okay, dope. Paul says this, since we've received this mercy, and the mercy is talked about throughout 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, the good news, the gospel, and so forth, just as we receive this ministry, just as we receive mercy, we don't lose heart. The old King James used to say, we faint not. Back in the days when they didn't realize the loss of blood, you know, <laughs> falling asleep during a sermon, you faint, boom. The idea not was fainting, was losing heart. Losing just the desire to go on. You've seen it when you're, the sports team gets their head down and you see it in their eyes. He said, doing, you know, having this, we don't lose heart in this ministry. We continue on. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness. Now, the hidden things of shame, I flipped that phrase because that's how I think it should read. There are hidden things that aren't shameful. I hide my car keys or you put your checkbook you know, in the bottom drawer. That's not shameful or whatever. But what Paul's talking about here is all those things, those secret things that you know that you do and that I do and that I say that I don't want people to know about. What's ironic is God knows about them, you know. The words that I said this uh, week just driving to work and back, you know, <laughs> to the new town drivers. <laughs> those things that I'm really ashamed about. Those things. We've renounced them. We try to get rid of them in our life. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Now, we're going to uh, look at those couple phrases for a minute. Not walking in craftiness. That's just how it says, deceitful, craftiness, trickery. Our culture is a culture of craftiness, particularly the United States. And you know, some of you know that we've lived overseas lots of places. Because we live in America where everything ends in 99.99. A house in Newtown is, is 499.999 and 99. You know, a car that you buy is $19,999.99. It's not 20 grand. It's not, come on. So, my wife and I are looking for internet because Clear has been sold to Sprint and they're kicking the network to the curb, so we're out on internet. And we don't get cable TV. We don't watch it. So, so internet. Okay, wow. $79.99 a month. Cool. You get, you get Fias TV, which I don't really want because I see my brother with 500 channels surf for three hours and then go to bed. Because you know. um, And okay, well, what do we got? Oh, $79.99 a month. No contract. Hmm. Let's see what else we got here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the fee. $89.99 installation fee. $69.99 activation fee. Cheryl asked, what is that? 
and I say, switch. Activation fee. This is switch. Okay? I guess that's what it is. $1.99 a month broadcast fee, $4.99 a month RSN fee, $9.99 a month router fee, $0.99 cents a month FDM administration fee, $11.99 a month HDSTB and other fees. Taxes, equipment, charges, and terms may apply. So, I mean, this is the craftiness that our society, that, that we have in our society. Sadly, does it crawl and creep into the church? I have to ask that question. Am I being crafty at times? Are we being crafty? I think, and this has gone on for a couple of centuries now, so it's not just us, but when we have a, a rescue mission and we, we feed the poor uh, street guys and so forth, are we really concerned about them wanting to give them a clean bed and some food, or are we trying to induce them to trust in Jesus as personal Savior? Is that a good thing? Well, yeah, it is. But, I mean, sometimes I have to ask the question, where do I draw the line between my craftiness and my manipulation in between what God wants me to do. Okay, I have a lot of questions, by the way, with no answers this morning, so that's just a question. You solve it over Chick-fil-A. Well, you can't do that because it's Sunday. But anyway, um, that's one, the handling of craftiness. Now, this is maybe more pertinent for churches. Handling, this is craftiness, or handling the word of God deceitfully. You go back to the classic Greek, and it's talking about catching with bait. And then the word became... Uh, adulterating, like adding lead to gold coinage to, de- to degrade it, or adding water to wine. Do we handle the word of God deceitfully? Well, I hope we don't. There are plenty that do, though. The word of God to make promises that aren't there. The, the, the scripture is full of precious, wonderful promises. But you know what? Many of the promises preached on radio and cable TV aren't the ones that the Scripture has, that you trust in Jesus, and man, you're going to be a millionaire. You trust in Jesus, and everything's going to work out all right for you, you know? And I'll tell you what, you can, you can prove this by just sending me a little seed money, something with a lot of zeros behind that figure, you know? Just send me a check, seed money. Those pro- handling the Word of God deceitfully, not to mention all of the different theological controversies and so forth. Paul says, we don't do that. And hopefully we at Crossing don't do that. You personally don't do that. But what do we do? By manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every conscience of men in the sight of God. Again, I flip that phrase because I think that's the way it should read. A man's every conscience. Every type of conscience of men. Because the key is this. Truth. Truth stands and falls based upon it. What it is. And I am amazed. I don't try to watch a lot of this anyway, but... You see the blogs and the political stuff. I'm amazed at the comments that go on with preachers and politicians and so forth that no one has said, look, it doesn't matter what uh, Huckabee says or what Trump says or this guy. It, it doesn't, on the abortion issue, on the gay rights issue, on all the... It, it, it matters what the truth is. And, and truth is in Scripture. And so if this is said, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Scripture. Get mad at Jesus. Because everyone's able to get mad at the church in general and so forth. When we put Jesus there, most people have a soft spot for Jesus. You know, bathrobe, rope around the middle and all that sort of stuff. Uh, You know, nice to the kiddies. Get mad at Jesus. Start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and see what Jesus says. And I'll tell you what, you might be surprised at some of the things that come out of Jesus' mouth. That's the truth. Commending ourselves to every conscience of men. Every type. So some people, we'll talk about this in a minute, 
Some will be led to a knowledge of the gospel, but even those that aren't know what the scripture says. This type of conscience, that type of conscience, this type of conscience. You understand what I'm saying? You speak the truth to all men without reservation and without change, and then the Holy Spirit does the rest. If our gospel is veiled, it has been veiled to those who are perishing. Now, it's interesting, no time, but go back and read chapter 3 about the veiling. Moses had gone up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, well, long story, but, you know, the golden calf, and all, he had smashed him. So he had to go up again. And when he would go up, he would be filled with the radiance of, of God's glory. And so he came down. He had to put a veil on himself. And it's the same word that's used as veil. And I, wanna, I almost got a Harry Potter, you know, invisibility cloak. But really, that's not the case. Because, you know, in Harry Potter, he couldn't see anything. This is being veiled, just like a, a wedding veil. And the gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing, to those that don't understand the gospel. Why? Well, it's very clear. Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. He's just obscured it. God is uh, the God of this age, the God, the world, cosmos, yes, but in this case, it's saying he's also, the whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one. He's also the God of this age in which we live. Who is it? Satan, the adversary, the devil. He is blinding their minds so they can't see this illumination of the gospel of the glory of God, of the glory of, uh, of Christ, who is the image of God. And I changed the word there. Hopefully, you're reading your scripture, you're looking at it, and you're seeing, hmm, what is that? That's because it's a word for light. Very common word, phos. It's, you find it everywhere. John the Baptist, John chapter 1. He was not that light. He gave bore witness to the light. Jesus was the light, the light that lights every man that comes into the world. You see that light everywhere. You see that word everywhere. This word is kind of rare. In fact, it's only here in this verse and a couple more verses. You never find it anywhere else in Greek. It has to do more with the illumination. I think I put that up there. The under, they shouldn't see. You see, Satan... The truth is out there, because you wonder, right, sometimes, man, did I, did I not speak the gospel clearly? Uh, do I need to improve my diction? Uh, maybe I used the wrong words that people couldn't understand? And sometimes that's the case. Maybe you have to learn a language like Bulgarian instead of English. All those things. But then you get down to the end of the day, and you think, why did why, he trusted Jesus as his Savior, and he understood. Why didn't he or she? That's because the God of this age has veiled. He's obscured it. He's like smeared the windshield when you're driving down, you know, the PA turnpike and you can't see. He's, he's veiled this. Christ, who is the image of God. Now, these were a big deal back in England when we lived there in the 90s. I don't know if they were here. Magic eye pictures. You ever get, you know, there's two classes of people, like people that can, you know, skip rope and those that can't. Who can see these? Now, I, I wanted to make sure. I actually found out later, after I loaded this up, it's from a Christian site. So I know there's no pornography on there or anything. Because I was concerned about that later. So I stared at it for about a half hour, and I still couldn't see anything. So anyway, the magic eye picture. Well, the truth is, my eyes went all blurry. And I did finally see something, but I just couldn't make it out. It's usually a hippo or, you know, or I don't know. But it was some letters, and it looked like it said UCLA. And I... So anyway, it's in there. I guess my point is, 
the message is the truth is out there only the tv program the message is in there <laughs> you just can't see it because it's veiled it's obscured and that's the way it is with the gospel because what happens is the god of this age blinds people so what's the solution the solution is the holy spirit the holy spirit leads and guides and draws folks to help them understand but you know people have to be looking at his word or listening if you turn the radio off before the hurricane warning gets there, you're not going to hear the message. I think we heard somewhat of that a couple weeks ago. So anyway, that's uh, what's there, I don't know. You can look that one up later. But that's the gospel's there, and the illumination that comes will make it able to be understood by folks. Now, Paul goes on and says this. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, Lord, what it says, Jesus Christ, Lord and ourselves, your slaves for the sake of Jesus. Just a couple things here. One is, again, with preaching. Sometimes preaching becomes such a show and comes entertainment to folks that I'm embarrassed in my own self. And I'm not a book writer, and maybe, maybe it's just like the old sour grapes thing, but you, know, you get these books and the picture on the back with the guy going, you know, and, and I think, oh, gosh, for one thing, if I sold a, why would I put my picture on the back? No one would buy it. I mean, I put Mel, no, not Mel Gibson. He's out. Uh, Matt Damon or somebody like that, you know. And and to promote my name, preaching myself, even the best. I mean, sometimes we see this with real, with real controversial movements. But even the best folks. I mean, with my family, um, Cheryl wasn't there. My brother and nephews and all this. We're driving around Atlanta, and and somebody says, you know, oh, where's Andy Stanley's church? Now, I know that's shorthand. Okay, we want to know, you know, oh, well, where's it at? It's not his church. It's Christ's church. It's God's church. At least it's supposed to be. But why it often comes out that we preach ourselves. People more concerned about Billy Graham than Jesus of Billy Graham. People more concerned about Rick Warren than the Jesus of Rick Warren. Those men, you know, to be, to be honest, those men would not want that kind of attraction either. But the world gives them that attraction. And sometimes we are lured into that direction. To be preaching ourselves, we don't do that. We preach Jesus Christ, born, living a sinless life on this earth, dying on the cross, not to start a new religion, not to sell T-shirts, not to do any of those things, but to give us eternal life with him forever through what he has done on the cross, through belief in Jesus. And that's what we preach. And ourselves, your slaves for the sake of Jesus. I don't like, you know, okay, do laws, could be bond servant, it's slave. It's a highly controversial term because of our cultural context. It's true whether you're in Bulgaria, where they had slaves, or whether you're in Europe, or in other places, we are slaves of Jesus. That's what we should be. We should be slaves of Jesus. Uh, the, early, um, uh, the early Moravians that went out, the first modern missionaries that started the whole movement, they became slaves and joined the slaves in the slave fields of what was then the Danish Virgin Islands, uh, becoming slaves, and it wasn't a big issue for them. I mean, they're all Northern Europeans. Why? It wasn't a big issue because they were slaves of Jesus. And these poor folks were slaves of some human. And what they did was they got them saved. And then they got money and they bought people out of slavery. You see what I'm saying? And then those people became slaves of Jesus. Because it doesn't matter who owns you, your short human life in those days of 30 years. It matters who owns your life now. Does Jesus own your life 
Are you his slave? Okay? Now, for God, the one who said, out of darkness the light will shine, that's that light again, is the one who has shown in our hearts the illumination of the knowledge, the glory of God in the face of Christ. For God, the one who said, out of darkness light will shine. Just for you, you rookies in Bible study, I try to like do a little for everybody. If you're reading your Bible, and you should be, and you're reading the New Testament and you see all big capital letters, that's not because they're trying to get your attention. Those are Old Testament quotes. And then you look there and you see, ooh, where's this from? And you go back. Now, this one's uh, not in all capitals, but it is from Genesis chapter 1. God, the very God that said, let there be light, and there was light. The same creator God said, he's the one who shines in our hearts. He's the one who gives us that understanding that we know what scripture has to say. We know that truth. He gives us that illumination, and here's a big, nice, juicy chunk of steak we don't have time to do. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We could talk for like a week on that, nonstop. Well, I won't. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What is that all about? Today we sang about the glory of God and Jesus' glory. And that's double say. And it's just like, it's... It's not simply intellectual and learning the Bible verses and getting all this truth and all these facts and all this sort of stuff. And it's not simply emotional where, oh, I feel good, I feel good, like I knew I would, you know, that kind of thing. It's not just those things. It's both of those. But put together, it transcends knowledge and intellect and fact and truth and, and emotion and feeling and being until we see what is the glory of God. In the face of Christ. Isaiah saw it in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, when, when the angel said, holy, holy, holy. And he saw the glory of God. So did Daniel. Now we see it in the face of Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Christ, the risen Messiah. Anyway, study that on your own. It's great stuff. But he says, Paul says, all that good information, we have this treasure in clay pots. Jars of clay, as a singing group said. Earthen vessels. We have a uh, celebrity in town. Ooh, I hope I can find it in here. A famous archaeologist. The word vessel is vessel, and ost- ostrakon is the Greek. We would get the word ostrakon. And archaeologists dig these up, and I got this from Judy. You know, this is just a clay, little clay shard here. And these are really important because sometimes they find writing on here, you know, that says, you know, for good pizza, dial 999. No, uh, they find all kinds of stuff, letters and shopping lists and that sort of thing, or there's a whole pot. But generally what happens, a lot of these are real, real, just humble, modest clay pots, not even fired or not fired that well. And so when they get a crack, they say, well, you know, they just throw it out back. So archaeologists, when you're looking for gold coins, you generally find a lot of these. And you find cracked clay pots everywhere. They're common, they're cheap, not worth anything. Paul says, we hold this treasure, this treasure of the gospel, the illumination of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ. We hold this in a lousy piece of junky clay pot that ain't worth a couple of pennies. I find that humbling. We are holding the treasure of the gospel in us. The Holy Spirit who indwells us, seals us, is a down payment to our salvation for all eternity and we're walking around, you know, and with our T-shirts and sandals. The T-shirt says, I was stupid, or, you know, 
or I married, <laughs> all men are idiots, and I married their king, and all kinds, and we're just, we're just these people, but we hold this treasure of the infinite, eternal, timeless God, because he gave his son that we might live with him forever. That's, that's awesome. But many times, and I do this too, because I'm going to work tomorrow, I concentrate on this part. I think, oh, no. You know, I've got a, a lot of clay pots where I work too. God has, if you're a believer, know this. If you're not a believer, uh, you're just a clay pot, okay? But here's the good news. You can have the glories of eternity by trusting in Jesus. Riches untold in heaven and, and, and just a life that is abundant. You'll be holding it in that clay pot till the day you die and you're with him, but you'll still have that treasure. So why do we hold this treasure in, in a clay pot? And this is because he says that the surpassing greatness of power may be of God and not of ourselves. That can't be much clearer. People have often... Well, in the last century, maybe they've argued about spiritual gifts and this and that and all. And I've said this. You can tell if something is truly from God, yeah, a spiritual gift or a spiritual awakening or a spiritual happening, if it is totally beyond what that person could do or could have done. You see, if, if I would hit, like, a home run in a Major League Baseball game, that'd be something special. Now, these other guys, they've been training for 20 years. And okay, they get struck out, but they hit home runs. I mean, it's almost an expectation that at some point they're going to do well. With the working of God and things that happen, when you see something that has to be so from God, because it's so awesome, it's so totally beyond someone else, you know God's working there. And that's how I see it. Why? Because if not, we get the credit. We get the credit. You know, you come up to the baseball player, the football guy, you know, and he gets the credit. He gets to do all of the, you know, the uh, testimonials on television for foot fungus powder. And he gets to do all of these things, you know, and go to all the nightclubs and stuff. He gets that glory. God wants to make it clear this is his doing. Surpassing greatness of the power is of God and not from us. It's not supposed to be about us. It's about him. And it should be about him. Now, this next, just a couple of little verses. Don't hear much longer. A couple of little verses. He uh, gives some of these contrasts, and some of them, uh, they're like puns, plays on word. He uses rare words, and sometimes Paul, Paul's known to do this. I do it at home, too, but nobody understands it. Uh, I make up my own words. Paul makes up his own words, so that's what he's done here, and I've tried to capture the flavor of them. He says, we're pressed hard in every way, but not crushed. The word, the pressed hard word there is the word that's used for crushing grapes. Now, amongst the old fundamentalists, that used to be an issue, but, you know, we can talk about it freely here. You make grapes, you make wine, and you crush grapes. Hopefully, you can use your feet, but, you know, you use a wine press, and you press, and you crush these, and you get all the juice. Well, he says we are pressed hard. That's the first word. But not crushed. It's like these grapes are made out of gravel or something, and they won't. Paul says, this is what I feel like. This is what I've been through. This is what many of you have been through. You've been in the wine press. You've been in the press. But you're not crushed. You're not crushed if you're with Jesus. You're not crushed. You're at a loss, but not lost out. That's a real, you can see it real clearly, that that's a play on words. At a loss, um, 
I grew up around cars, didn't learn anything. As my dad would say, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a junk dealer. Uh, I grew up around cars, and, and, you know, and so you try to fix the car, and well, you know, change out the plugs, and oh, that didn't work. Well, how about, could be the coal. You do all this work, and, and so then you're finally there, and you say, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. What is wrong with this car? Paul often felt that way. You feel that way. Have you ever been at a loss? But the key is you're not lost out. You're at a loss, but you're not lost out. You're not left behind. There's an answer here somewhere. You may not have it yet. You may not get it for a while, a long while. He says we're driven away, but not left behind. We're persecuted out. We're chased out of the uh, walls of the town, but we're not abandoned because Jesus is with you. It's tough to take this. When you get to be an old codger like me, you see it more, though. It's a half-full, half-dimmy kind of thing that, as in the last letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4, everyone left him. You know, everyone, only Luke was with him, the guy that had bailed on him before in Cyprus, and now he's come back. Everyone had left him. You know, people will bail on you. They're going to drive you out. They're going, but you won't be left behind because there's still one person that's going to always be with you, and that's the Lord. Hebrews says that. You know, he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise. Driven out but not left behind. Knocked down. This is one of my favorites because I looked it up. Knocked down but not knocked out. Listed. Boom! Like just flattened. And there's been many fabled boxing matches where this guy gets his clock cleaned and he is on the canvas. But he gets up and in the 10th round he knocks the guy out. You know, Johansson and Patterson, all the other boxing heroes. Knocked down. And I know you felt like that. I know you felt just like you turned around and somebody laid you out. You're knocked down. But you're not knocked out. You're not gone. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. And interesting, that's what it says. A lot of scripture verses say a lot about the death of Jesus, and I die daily, and there's death, death, death. This is not that word. It says the dying of Jesus, not the death of Jesus, the dying. Why did he put that there? I think he puts words there for reasons, in case you hadn't gathered that, and that's my point. The dying of Jesus. Because it's a continual thing, a continual thing. And frankly, this is the old sick, transit, gloria, mundi, you know, that we were uh, headed towards death every day. Again, half full, half empty. Young, young people sometimes can't get this. Old people have a little bit more perspective on it. That our life is given over in this mortal life to every day getting closer to Jesus. And hopefully that's your goal, getting closer to Jesus. And we carry about in our body every day the dying of Jesus, what he went through, what he has done, what he has accomplished for us, what he will accomplish for you. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That's the harder bit, you know. The dying is kind of easier, to, you know, like comedy is hard kind of thing. Death is easy. Comedy is hard. Caring about the life of Jesus, that's another matter. That every day, Monday morning, when the ladies see me, how am I manifesting the life of Jesus? And i got to confess, sometimes I don't. And when I feel like I'm not going to, I kind of close my door just to make sure the only one that can see me having a fit is God. Because he sees me anyway. So my boss doesn't see me and the ladies don't see me, so I'm having a fit. But I should be able to open that door and manifest the life of Jesus in my body. Do you have problems with that too? Every day, sometimes at least. 
Well, maybe I'm the only one. But you see what I'm saying. This is what we're called to. Why? Constantly, we who live are being delivered unto death for Jesus in order that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Again, that contrast. There it does say death. Death for Jesus, life for Jesus. So we're delivered over to death so the life can be shown in our bodies and our flesh. So that's the passage. We're going to stop there for today. That's my passage for today. Is if hopefully something rung true in that, that you can see we carry this treasure about in clay jars so that the immense, unbelievable power of God, the glory of God can be seen through what he does through our lives. And he's going to do that through you this week, this month, if you let him. Let's pray as the team comes.